The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, this is Cheryl Jones. Welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm here with Betsy Rose. Betsy is a singer-songwriter whose music blends compassion, mindfulness, depth, and humor. She's presented and sung for educators, hospice workers, parents, and spiritual communities. Visionaries such as Thich Nhat Hanh, Matthew Fox, and Joanna Macy have used her music in their work. Betsy is a longtime leader in the Family Practice Program at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. After September 11th, Betsy created Singing for Peace, non-professional singers who gather in public to sing songs of healing and peace. She's a frequent voice at public gatherings for peace, reconciliation, and justice. Her numerous numerous recordings include Welcome to the Circle, Songs of Empowerment and Healing, Especially for Women, and Calm Down Boogie, children's music celebrating the joys of mindfulness, simple living, earth care, and family bonds. Her latest recording is Long for This World, songs of loss, remembrance, and comfort for those experiencing bereavement, and you can find her at BetsyRoseMusic.org. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Cheryl. So good to be with you. I'm really excited to have you. One of the One of the things I love best about hosting the show are the moments of synchronicity that happen. And as you know, we were set to have this conversation back in early October. Yes. The very week after my mother died, but I was planning on going forward. And then in a, a incredibly synchronous event, your mother was dying that next week and we postponed it. And it was so, uh, it's been so profound to have, to meet you under these conditions where we're both, bereaved daughters. It really is. And I mean, anyone who's had a loss knows how wonderful it is to know someone who's had a very similar loss and especially within a similar time frame. It's so comforting. And it, it's a different kind of friendship. I just feel so close to you already. And we you know, really haven't known each other very long. So very, A very right. short time, but yeah. in such, uh, you know, when your first conversation is about loss, I do find that it cultivates a a, a quick closeness. Yeah. I, I feel I feel very uh, connected to the people I'm interview I've interviewed on the show, for instance, for that reason, because we've talked about the deepest things. Um, and and I've I've so enjoyed getting to know you in many different ways over these last. Uh, 
couple of months, yes. really. Yes, because there's current events going on right now that we've been connecting about also that are... Absolutely. Yeah. Ferguson and, and Michael Brown and uh, yeah. the demonstrations, which, of course, around our area, we both live in the Bay Area, very, very active community in mm-hmm. in uh, in terms of consciousness and and um, action. Yeah. Yes. And very, very much about grief, too. And that's something that the African-American leaders, activists in the area keep reminding everyone of, you know. And um, I was at a vigil the other night at Lake Merritt, and we walked in silence with candles. We sang wonderful songs, and a, a mother of a murdered youth spoke. And it was the whole evening was an acknowledgement that we need not only to be angry and to be witnessing and, and demanding change, but we also need space to grieve together. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I do see the outrage and anger as very much a part of grief. Mm-hmm. And especially grief that, that comes out of losses that are so, um, so damaging. Right. <laughs> you know. And happen uh, in such an oppressive, just horrible way, you know, where there's intention behind it that is so disturbing to think what that intention is, to know what that intention is. Absolutely. Uh, in that sense, I guess you and I are, are experiencing what uh, people in my field call uncomplicated bereavement. Yes. That <laughs> is our, right. Our, our mothers lived long lives. Um, we were there for them. Mm-hmm. We loved them. Yeah. They loved us, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there are many blessings in that from my point of view. Yes, yes, and for me too. And, and I feel this a very, I love that, whatever that phrase was, uncomplicated or something, because it's just been as beautiful as it could be. And my dad also, who died three years before, with everything they could have wanted, everything we could have wanted, you know, dying at home, having wonderful hospice help, having family nearby at all times. Um, relatively pain-free, just you name it. It was just beautiful. And what I'm left with is very, very little kind of active sorrow or, or pain. Um, I haven't felt any anger, quite honestly, um, in these instances with these deaths. And um, just a growing gratitude and a growing sense of my, my deep good fortune to have had them for parents. And, and I think just always, every time I've experienced loss, and there have been many, that I just land in a place of feeling more connected to the rest of the world. When I hear a news report of, oh my God, I, don't, I can't even name some of the things that are happening right now. It's too upsetting. But just violent, violent things happening around the world. I feel so connected to the pain and the grief and the suffering of those people in a, in a way that every human being does. But I think when I'm in touch with my own experience of loss and the way it's opened my heart, I'm just more available and open to everybody's suffering. Absolutely. And, and also, if you, uh, you know, I, I've been missing my mother, of course, and, and mm-hmm. shedding tears and, you know, in a good way, though, yeah. in a beautiful way. Yeah. And um, to add on top of that, you know, the grief of the parents who uh, suddenly lost their young children through violence and to imagine adding that onto the top of, of just, you know, loss itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so ripping. And, of course, um, ripping to a community, not just to a family. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yes, and, and I think there are some losses that are so huge and have such kind of wider implications that they, they must either crush or, or just transport a person into a place of strength. That I, that's what I see when I see the mothers standing up in public at the various marches that have happened nationally and locally and speak about their, their murdered young people, usually young men of color, and the, the love and the strength and the gratitude to the community that they express. And I just feel like they have gone beyond. It's like when Martin Luther King said, I have been to the mountaintop. You know, I feel like they've been to the, if not the mountaintop, the deepest valley on earth, you know. Mm. And it just, I mean, I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm just feeling how it must open up ways of standing in the world that are just not available to most of us most of the time. I'm I'm reminded of I took note of uh your um your email signature because I love oh, the yeah. quote at the end. I actually took it down. Mm-hmm. Remember that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. That was William Sloan Coffin. Mm-hmm. Um I, that that stuck with my heart yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 becomes uh, really quite a um, deep aspect of living in mm-hmm. in this moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think both of us have been focusing some thought on and conversation between yeah. you and I too yeah. yes, because because I do think when when uh, losses happen and they're um, uh, kind of glossed over or ignored, they do turn into a terrible churning um, uh, injury to all of us. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think a public, whatever's going on publicly is part of a healing process when it's a collective horror and a, a collective tragedy. Or I should say first a community tragedy among communities of color. And then there's collective ripples to it of just humanity just reeling from mm-hmm. what what can happen to human beings and how we are all somehow involved and implicated. Absolutely. It's yeah. uh, Especially if, uh, you know, I do come from a place, and I think you do, of recognizing that we're all part of one big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, on some level, um, cosmic or not, an injury to one is an injury to all of us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it affects us differently. Yeah, yeah. But but it's it's a it's a loss overall. You know, I I don't want to go much farther without people hearing your beautiful oh, voice. Lovely. Um, so Let's do it. I I had thought uh, to play the um, the clip from your song Prayer. I don't know if you want to say anything in advance or if we should just play it. Let's play it and then I can say a few things afterwards. All right, sounds good. This is prayer. This is how I'd like my life to be To live as trusting as a leaf on a tree Let the seasons take good care of me This is how I'd like to be To not be fearful of the falling down Not cling too tightly when my time comes round Gladly sink into the winter ground Knowing the best 
Such a contrast to that ripping, isn't it? To isn't that, the pr- the prayer of how we would how yeah, we would yeah. most of us like to be, yeah, um, yeah. just well, able to live our lives really, and mm-hmm. then die our deaths mm-hmm. with some mm-hmm. some dignity and peace. Yeah. Well, you know, the Buddha's whole impulse to go out and and pilgrim through the world was a quest to understand how can I live with the knowledge that I'm going to die. You know, how can I live with that? How can I possibly be happy or ever sing or dance again, knowing that I'm going to have sickness, old age, and death? You know, what Mm. what he called the heavenly messengers. And the song is really inspired by that teaching of of the Buddha about impermanence, how everything, everything that is created um, disappears. And everything that we know in this world is in some way constructed, you know, all matter and Emotions are constructed out of experiences and beliefs are constructed out of uh, feelings and so forth. And, and all things pass sooner or later. And it is a, a very, um, hmm, it's something that we often in West, some Western cultures anyway, build a whole society around trying to deny by pumping up the um, joys of what we can consume and buy, the the thrills that we can experience, all of that is kind of waving off or fording off what the word is, I can't think what it is, fending off yeah. the, um, the, tr- the truth, which is it's all going to be gone someday and we're going to be shriveled up if we're lucky enough to live long and we're going to go, our bodies are going to go. And and so anyway, it's a very, for me, it's a life-changing teaching, really. And yes. and that song was my meditation on how, in a way, how nature reflects back to me this living truth every season. Here we are, the leaves are sinking into the ground, and we know that the green of spring is going to follow, and that's just the nature of life. And gosh, when we think about... Well, let's let's talk a minute about. I want to go back to the losses. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. the ones that are easy and the ones that aren't so easy. And yes. you know, my first major death was was when I was quite young. And as you know, Cheryl, that I had a baby when I was a young, a teenager, um, an unwed mother. And that baby, um, and he, it's forty some years later now, and I'm still choked up, which is just mm-hmm. you know that's. That's how grief can be, you know. There's some griefs that never go away. So I and and I I, and I actually think uh, all griefs stay in some form or Mm -hmm. another. I've just been thinking. uh, Just this morning, I was doing a little writing about uh, the uh, about loss a long time later. Yeah. Uh, and and how it it weaves through your life and uh, continues to inform it. Yeah, and right. and that's some somewhat what you're talking about, isn't right. it? That well, that it is. Yeah, and that we also, I feel, human beings. I, I'm not. I, this is not original, but I believe it deeply. And others, many others, have said it better. But that we are meaning making creatures, and whatever happens to us, I think we, the human heart, is inclined toward finding a story 
that helps make it absorbable and livable with. And so the story of a young, a five-week-old baby dying of SIDS when you're an 18-year-old girl is that's not that's not easy to make a, a really great story about. And the impact on me was one of those, you know, more horrible kinds of aftermaths. First of all, being an unwed mother, it was all very secret, so there was no public grieving that we had a little memorial service, and it was just five people, my parents, the the father, me, and the minister. Mm. And there was no holding of her by a wider community. So there was that, and then there was just the life going on. I mean, it was completely invisible, and anyone who's lost an infant or a child even knows this is true, that you walk around the world looking normal and nobody knows what's happened to you. And in my case, literally nobody knew because it was completely private. And um, so I think that's one of the most unhealthy ways to have to bear grief. It's not meant to to be born alone. And there's something about other people grieving with one with me that kind of spreads the sharpness out. It's still my grief and there's no one who can feel it like I do, but it does spread it out over a wider collection of hearts. And there's something that does, I just know, I know it helps the healing a lot. So I was, you know, a pretty, pretty much of a basket case for a, quite a while after that. I mean, there was certainly the kind of fresh couple of months after basket case where I was you know, whatever, you know, just not in good shape. But I think now that I'm older, I know that I was probably depressed for about five, four or five years, just pretty, probably clinically depressed. And and then, you know, whatever, you, you life life goes on as it does. But, but my point, or not my point, but what I want to get to is that over time, I have struggled to make meaning out of this so that it doesn't mm-hmm. just persist as Betsy's horrible victimization story of this awful thing that happened to me. I, it, it colored my life in a way that it was almost unhealthy. It was unhealthy because I didn't have healthy ways to, to work it through. And so, but finally, 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 and it's what, as I say, 40 plus years, but probably 30 years later, slowly, I began to believe that this loss was the gateway to capacities in my heart, places in my heart that wouldn't have been available to me otherwise that really affected how the songs I write, the work that I've chosen to do with my music, the amount of what people tell me, the amount of heart that's in my voice. There's, I don't have a highly trained, wonderful, amazing voice. I do not. But there is something in it, people tell me, that moves them to tears, just, just the sound of my voice. And I know that that's the loss Mm. That, that has made my heart something that it wouldn't have been otherwise. So that's, that's very interesting because the first time I actually heard you sing, I do believe it was at Spirit Rock, and I believe I was there with my wife, mm-hmm. who was very ill. Mm. And uh, your voice stuck with me, and I think it is because of what you're talking about, mm. that that there was something open to it all about your voice uh, is the way it comes to me to say it um, maybe familiar because we were of course in a very ripped open place mm-hmm. yeah uh, so I think perhaps I heard what you're talking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's talk more about that when we come back it's time for our first break and I um, I can't wait to hear more about that evolving process in you 
And listeners, in these few minutes, be sure to go to my host page, goodgriefatvoiceamerica.com, my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. You can learn more about me, my work, sign up for my newsletter, etc. And to reach Betsy, go to betsyrosemusic.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. We're talking today with Betsy Rose, a musician who uses her music to support peace movements, circles of children and adults, mindfulness practice, and this latest CD of hers, Bereavement. So, uh... I really resonate with this idea we were talking about before the break of, of our human impulse to make meaning. And I also, um, one way I talk about that sometimes is um, learning from experience. You know, people who uh, are willing to learn from experience mm-hmm. always uh, do better in therapy, for instance, you know, and sure. and that's that's and what I mean by better is just being able to tackle the tough problems of living that we all have, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think it's because of this meaning uh, making meaning capacity. And right, right, right. uh, you were saying during the break that you had a recent experience that really exemplified that. Would you like to tell the listeners about it? Yeah, I would. Um, I was at a conference last summer with a great organization called Saging International, and it's a conscious aging um, organization, and they have conferences every other year. And I was uh, invited to be a presenter and a singer at the conference in Seattle last summer. And I, um, I offered a workshop, and I can't remember now what it was called, but it was on, on the topic of the, the profound lessons 
blessings and gifts of being close to death, being accompanying death in some way. And I, I told people there would be music and, and there would be discussion and so forth. And it was really a rich, amazing experience with about maybe 12, 15 people um, who all were there because they were very intimately connected to loss in some way. And we were, people were telling stories and we were singing some of the songs from the CD and we were crying together and it was wonderful. And one man said, you know, well, I think I talked about the, the making meaning part. And um, a man spoke up and he said, you know, there's the loss in my life. I cannot find a gift in it anywhere. I cannot find the gift. And I said, you know, tell us more. So he told us about the loss, and it was a, a family member, and it was an unresolved relationship, and that which is, must be one of the hardest, hardest losses, is to lose someone close to you with a very unresolved relationship. Yes. And the manner of death and the circumstances around the death were not very positive, and the whole thing just left him feeling really awful about his relationship with the person and the way the person died and how he didn't take the opportunity to show up for this person in time and all the kind of things, the regrets that one feels um, in that kind of a loss. And so um, he said, I just, I don't know how to make meaning out of that, and I can't, and I'm not sure I should, and, and I think I'm just going to go to my grave with this the way it is. And so I said, well, how long ago was that? And he said it was about 10 years. And then I told him the story of my baby, Joss, and said it took me about 30 years to finally weave a story that wasn't, wasn't a band-aid, that was genuine and came out of my lived experience, and that I had to live a long time to live into the gifts that mm. were slowly, slowly germinated out of that experience. These things do not happen quickly for a lot, or the, or the really profound stuff often doesn't happen quickly. So I just it kind of said, you know, be patient, don't give up, because it takes a long time. And... um someone told me afterwards they actually had a little encounter with him afterwards and that that was extraordinarily helpful to him, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's just mainly saying keep the faith, don't give up. They say don't quit before the miracle. And I'm not saying that everybody's going to find that place of, of gift and gratitude. It's That would be presumptuous. But I think it's possible. I think it's a capacity we have and that the whole thing of making story, I mean, we're just story-making creatures, you know. If, if someone cuts us off in traffic, we make a story about either what a piece of you-know-what or, oh, they must be having a bad day. I mean, we kind of choose an interpretation <laughs> for all the things that happen. Sure. Again, the Buddha's got a wonderful teaching about this called the second arrow, and he talks about how when we, are, when we have an injury, when something happens that hurts physically, emotionally, spiritually, that's the first arrow, and it's unavoidable. That's the, the first noble truth. There is suffering. Everybody's going to have it. No one is exempt. There's going to be an arrow. But the second arrow is the story that we make about it or the Mm. way we interpret it. And that's an injury that we can do to ourselves. We jab the second arrow in by saying, it's all my fault, what an idiot I am, or Mm. that just goes to show I'm never going to get a lucky break, blah, blah, you know, all those stories. Yes, whatever it is. Whatever it is, you know. And that's kind of what I had to wrestle with with the loss of my daughter um, was what, you know, the kind of the story that arose, I mean, I was very young, so I didn't know I had any choices, and even whatever, you know, I had to feel what I had to feel, but that was my struggle. And then I, the similar, you know, I want to talk just a minute about another kind of loss that often isn't named, which is miscarriage, loss, and, you know, pregnancy yes. loss. Yes. And I had one of those, too. And I was much older. I was in 
12-step recovery. I was, you know, had been following the teachings of the Buddha for a while. I was a very different person. I was 43, maybe, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, 18. Mm-hmm. And I was just reading through some papers after my mom's death. She kept everything. So I was reading lots of letters. <laughs> and I found a letter that I wrote my family after this miscarriage that was so spiritually evolved. It was like, who wrote that? You know, you know that feeling? You know that feeling uh-huh. when you read something yeah. you wrote a long time ago and think, I did. I knew that. Then. I, I don't know, know that now. I didn't. I didn't know. I knew that. I didn't know. I knew that, and I don't even know it now. You know, like, I couldn't write that letter today. But, but you know, it was really a letter where I, I had, I talked about the struggle, about the story of what story was I gonna, was I gonna live with about that miscarriage, and I really had a, I won't go into it. It's too long to tell, but a very clear crossroads where I could either believe science or I could believe faith when it came to the story of what happened to that little embryo, and um. It was an, a huge life-changing choice because I decided to choose faith instead of science and um, go with that, which I think is a great choice, actually. Much more livable in many cases. Right. It'll get you know, the, further. <laughs> the, the other thing that I really noticed in your story of the workshop participant is that in some way it's, it's very important to, um, uh, to recognize that the brutality of the loss may not change. It's mm-hmm. us that changes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's our perspective on that that changes. We don't have to make it a good thing. Right. Right. And and I think that's a real misunderstanding somehow that somehow, uh, you know, I, I work with this a lot with people with cancer where uh, they, they think their cancer has to be a gift and the gift is not the cancer. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's what you learn as a result. The cancer might still be traumatic. Mm, absolutely. And right. and that's okay. They can right. coexist. The meaning and the and the loss and the brutality of the loss can coexist, yeah? Absolutely. They're totally entwined. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned cancer because you know that within a very short time of my mom dying, my oldest sister was diagnosed with very, pretty serious cancer, which, you know, is one of those yes. multiple loss things that I'm just, you know, finding, <laughs> digging deep to find the strength to keep going. And I've been thinking a lot about her and about some of the healing that is could be a wonderful thing in her life. I mean, with I mean, even before the cancer, thinking about some ways that some healing that would be wonderful for her, and and just wondering how is this diagnosis at the age of sixty eight going to be a gift or not for her? How is she going to hold this? And how, what, what will the impact be? What will it be? And how will she? What story will she make of it? You know, and I. You know, I love her so much, and I have a feeling, just a gut feeling, that some some very good things are going to come of this, and that has nothing to do with cancer being good. It's just that life presents us with the stuff that everybody gets, one way or the other, and then we make something of it, you know? Yeah. I think this would be a good moment to hear simple, simple love. Oh, yes. Um, Good call. Do... Shall we talk afterwards? Yes, Just let's listen. Talk afterwards. Okay, simple, simple love. Oh, simple, simple love. It's all that's left of us when everything has turned to dust. I'll put my trust in simple, simple love. When the end comes 
just your quiet company when I'm gone from here will you still sing my song will you carry on with the music in your heart oh simple simple You know, as I was listening to your whole CD, what I was thinking was, uh, you you wrote it as a, a comfort. It's also got a lot to say about how you want to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just about how you want to face death yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or so bereavement right, sure. or yeah. loss. Um, it, it felt to me like it worked very well as a um, as a way to get in touch with how we might want to live between now and our ends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think it was Carlos uh, Don Juan um, in, in uh, whatever that book was that we all read when we were younger who said, keep death on your shoulder. It will remind you to love. And I would say it will remind you to live. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And the two are so uh, often tied together. Yeah. Live, living and loving can be very tied together for, yeah. for yeah. us. If we're, if we're fortunate. I guess right, right, right. Well, uh, you know, we're just we're just meant to love. We're just made. We're made of love. We're meant to love. Humans can't live without love. Babies can't thrive on just food and and sleep. You know, they've done there've been experiments that show that without love and touch and affection, we just turn into warped warped beings. So it's in our nature. You know, we we don't even grow physically. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Uh, that that's a very familiar study to me, and <clears throat> it's called they they call children who are not touched and held and loved. Uh, they often have a failure to thrive. Failure to thrive, exactly. Uh, which is quite a profound way to talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't gain weight. They don't uh, meet developmental milestones. They're mm-hmm. they're uh, slowed down. Yep. Very, oh, yeah. very, very definitely. Much so. Very much so. so we yeah. do, we do need that, don't we? Yes. Uh, well, totally. It's it's primal, and simple, simple love. You know, I mean, for me, here's here's a gift. This was written after my most of the songs I should say on the CD, "Long for This World," were written after my dad died, and he was 95. He was a minister in his younger years, professional years, and a, a very amazing guy, and uh, not an not the easiest man to to be in family with. Um, but as in, in his older years, I grew up enough to really find my deep affection for him. And then when he uh, was diagnosed with cancer in the summer of 2011, I um, went up there and lived with him and my mom for two months. It was just one of those drop-everything moments for me. And I lived with him and, and was just there, his, really his caregiver and my mom's support for a couple of months. And it was one of the best choices I've ever made in my life and extremely transformative and there was um wonderful wonderful uh hospice people just the best and i learned so so much and that's a whole lot of songs that came out of that and um why am i telling you this i guess just <laughs> that this is kind of a, a the next step for me in all my years of being a songwriter and singer which i've been doing professionally for a very long time lots of decades 
and you know, have, as you said earlier, you know, created music uh, focused on women and children and a lot of social justice work. And now it's just time. I'm a boomer. I'm 64, and my generation is moving into our generation, moving into the years when we're losing people. If we haven't lost parents yet, we are losing them, and um, we're losing friends. Um, we're losing our own, you know, some of our own health, and sure. It's just, seems like the perfect time for for me to be writing and offering this music um, for my generation and and their children and so forth and I'm um, you know getting connected to hospice and and doing sing, singing at hospice memorial services and conferences where I can present some of the music and some of the wisdom teachings that underpin it and so forth so it's a really wonderful new phase and and it's but but I have to say Cheryl I haven't I didn't start writing songs of bereavement after my dad died I have had a lifelong it seems like interest <laughs> somehow mm. in death you and I have talked about this yes this yes whole, what is this lost thing how can people live just like the little the buddha how can we live knowing all this and I I kind of believe I was born for it because when I was born when my mom was pregnant with me in 1950 and I was born at, in December 23rd coming right up mm-hmm. and um and her mother was dying. Her mother had cancer and was dying. So there was this sort of aura, I think. This is all my, my story, the story I'm, I'm Your story. Telling. There was this aura. <laughs> the meaning of, you've made. Right, right? Of, of loss and grief, you know, that I was born into. I was born in a dark time of the year, just at the solstice. And my mom was, was not grieving. My grandma hadn't died. She died, I think, just a few months after. But what a time for my mother, you know. And so that oh, was yes. the context I was born into. And I've always been a, a kind of a thoughtful, serious, um, sensitive, deep, I mean, kind of go deep kind of person. And I don't say those as compliments. They're just kind of who I am. There's problems with being sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> one can be too reflective, and I've one can be very much too serious, and I've been all of that. But um, I uh, that's kind of colored my life. And then there was the baby, the loss of the baby, and then my sister, my youngest sister, died um, of drugs and alcohol when she was 26, I think. Mm. So, you know, there's some pretty serious losses in our family, and all of that, I mean, one of the songs on the CD is one I wrote after my sister died called Let Her Go, and um, there's also one called Going Home that I wrote after an aunt died maybe eight or so years ago. So, and then Welcome to the Circle, I wrote when I was working in the AIDS um, community in, in San Francisco here in the late 80s, early 90s. I worked with the Shanti Foundation as an artist in residence, and I had singing circles and songwriting circles for uh, people living with AIDS in the Castro, and, and I sang at memorial services and did, did whatever was, was possible and, and useful. And... I was invited to sing at a conference for caregivers, um, be, which was a new, a first, kind of a first, and it was out of the realization that this disease, which was initially a crisis and an emergency, was actually a marathon, and that people who were pouring their life energy as family members or care, care partners into saving lives and, and accompanying people were completely burning out because no one realized that this was a long, long yeah. haul. And so, not enough yeah. nourishment. No, 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 yeah. because it's like when it's an emergency, you just give your all and trust yeah, that it's sure. gonna, you're going to get a break, and then people weren't getting a break. Mm-hmm. So they had this wonderful conference for caregivers put on. It was started by a wonderful priest, and I'm, I'm not remembering his name, but he asked me to sing sing at it, and, and I wrote Welcome to the Circle for that. 
event. Um, so Let's it's talk a- more about that conference when we come back from our second break, could Wonderful. we? Wonderful. Please. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget, listeners, to connect with me in any way that works for you. Uh, all my social media is on my host page. And look for Betsy Rose at BetsyRoseMusic.org. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Good Grief. Today I'm talking with Betsy Rose, a musician whose latest work, Long for This World, is a group of songs for loss, remembrance, and simple love. And before the break, we were talking about the AIDS conference at, at, at which you sang, which, um, of course, that, the AIDS uh, epidemic, which at first just killed scores of people very quickly, um, had such a big impact as as a Bay Area person who's LGBT, of course, huge impact mm-hmm. uh, on my way of coming at life and actually changed the relationship between um, lesbians and gay men, for instance. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of things changed um, because we were all facing these huge losses together all the time. Right. Uh, and... Um, I was really struck when you were just the little bit you spoke about it that people were uh, uh, because there was also a a um, it wasn't a private loss because it was so public public and mm-hmm. and there had to be action mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> uh, so people were having conferences and I found it very touching that that uh, somebody thought to include creative expression and music yeah, and. Yeah in a conference at that time. You know, you're so right, and, and it's something that I've sort of struggled with my whole adult life as a musician, is how to remind and um, 
inspire conference organizers to include the arts. It's somehow, there's a, the way our culture, Western culture, Western white culture, I guess I should say, European culture, has treated the arts is so much as a separate, skilled uh, kind of thing that the professionals do in a concert hall or somewhere, but not integrated into all the other things that we do. And that is so not the way music has been in the human race for most of history and in most cultures. And so I, I kind of have a mission about reminding political organizers, conference organizers, lecture organizers, whatever, of, of, you know, music will help your agenda along. Whatever you're trying to accomplish here, music will help, really help. So that said, you know, I was thinking too about what you said about how the AIDS crisis galvanized a community, and we're really seeing kind of a... Um, uh, something changed that, that has affected things since then. And what I mean is that a whole community galvanized and got active and got public. There was the AIDS quilt and there were demonstrations and there was lobbying and there was legislative and there was so many things. And this was an example of a community being impacted by impermanence and loss and responding as a community. And what do we see today with Ferguson and Eric Garner and so forth? We see a community Mm. galvanized into action by their collective loss. And I want to say right here in the Bay Area that the the activists of color that I see organizing events every day, every day, and articulating really beautifully on, on Facebook, and mostly on Facebook, I'm really on Facebook a lot these days, mm. but yeah. really articulating a, um, a people of color-centered activist approach and giving out really good and compassionate information to white people about how we can be allies and what's not helpful, which is extremely useful to know. So Absolutely. I feel like the, you know, the, the, gay, the AIDS community, or not, I'm sorry, not the AIDS community, the gay and lesbian community gave the world a gift by, by, by kind of initiating, pioneering that kind of community response um, and that... Um, Gosh, that that we know how to do that now. You know, we know how to do that, and we do it. And I just say thank you. You know, it's, it's powerful. Well, and, but also I have to say that uh, at that time, most of the act- activists um, that that I knew were also baby boomers. Yeah. You know, we were talking before the break about the particular character, not of the entire generation, mm-hmm. but but certainly many people that. I knew and and you knew and who we were was investigators mm-hmm. of our own yeah. experience. Yeah, you know the right. the women's movement, consciousness raising groups, living in communes together and figuring out how to get along yeah. as yeah. a group. You know, there were a lot of experiences that I certainly um, had a part of, including the very act of coming out publicly yes which the the people the next generation up uh had lived much longer before they felt that to be an option yeah yeah you know there were there were precious few people who felt safe enough to do that right and then there was sort of an explosion of this is who we are right um I think all that is in here somehow uh in terms of how loss because of course I look at coming out as a loss for right. for most people. There's a loss in there. Yes, there um, is. So uh, you know, all of it gets amalgamated in my own yeah. in my own head in my right. own thinking. Mm, mm. Uh, 
Good thoughts, Cheryl. Good thoughts. And you know what this makes me think of is that our generation is now doing what we've done for 60 years, which is pioneering yet another expansion of consciousness around death and dying. But, that there's a, just a huge changes going on in the culture about how we treat um, old age, how we treat death. You know, hospice has become a household word, which it wasn't. Which it wasn't, 15, absolutely. 20 years ago, or, you know. And I'm just reading that amazing book that you, that you also have read, Being Mortal. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to remember his name. It's too hard. I can't remember it, but maybe you've got it in your mind. You have. I don't. It's, yeah. I'm blanking it right now, but I know the yeah. book, Being yeah. Mortal. Well, yeah. it's written by a doctor from India who has the most uh, insightful uh, analysis and, and, and understanding of what has gone wrong with how we take care of elderly people in this culture. And knowing that our generation is moving into that category where it ain't going to be long before we're going to need services and alternatives to housing and all kinds of things besides medical care, just all kinds of things, and that it's going to be different. It's going to, it's already different. And I can just feel how it's going to be more and more different because we're going to fi- insist on ways of growing old together that reflect, the, the, as you said, the inquiry and the, the consciousness and the working out the best possible living arrangements, the most humane possible ways of living out this next phase of life. That's kind of what, what our generation is about. You know? Well, and that also, uh, I think, does have to do with um, economics as well, because mm-hmm. a huge percentage of us do not have the money mm-hmm. to do, for instance, what my mother did. Mm-hmm. 24-hour care, right. you know, right. she, um, she she had not wealthy person at all, but boy, it was a high priority to her to have enough money for that, and mm-hmm. because that generation didn't want to be a burden. Yes, oh boy, that's <laughs> you know, right, that's right. That's the biggest thing going. Maybe that will happen Maybe we'll be that way too. We might. But, I'm not sure. It's just that uh, generation. I, I'm going to stay humble about that. But, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. I I feel as if I'm more geared to how do I take care of this? You know, how do yeah. I how do I stay in a situation where my life has meaning for me? Yes, yes. Which is what um, his book is so much about. Yeah, that's that's a, a very. My guest last week, Marcy Baskin. Um, uh, is working on, she's an elder care Mm. uh, manager, works with families, Mm -hmm. and her big direction is really looking at uh, community housing in which to age. Good, exactly. You know, where people um, live in the same space so that one caregiver can come and do all the showers or all the dinners. Right. And and I think that would come naturally to a lot of us, don't you? I think it would. Yeah. yeah, I do. No, I think this is exactly the direction we're going to be going in. And you know what I was thinking, Cheryl? This is a little bit of a jump, but just thinking of initiating new ways of doing things. Do you want to talk for a minute about our death salon idea? Absolutely. And and then I want to um, play one more bit yeah. of music, and then we're done That's for the awesome. day. Oh, my goodness. But it's this idea of death salon that you came up with, thank you very much mm-hmm. for that, mm-hmm. that that um, there are death cafes, of course, maybe some of the listeners have heard of that, where people come together just simply to talk about death. And and you and I are working on adding the arts into that. Right. And I, I just think that's right in line with what we're, what we're talking about today, isn't it? 
Yes. Oh, it really is. It really is. It's like that combination of how can we let the taboo out of the out of the bag and and open up a conversation. It's so people are so hungry to talk about death, especially if they've been close to it. And then the arts. What I've found from these memorial tea parties I've been doing since my mom died. I had a couple of memorial. And they've been wonderful. Oh, oh the yeah. One I was Thank at. you, Cheryl. You were there. But just gathering friends together to tell them about my mom because she didn't live down here, and I wanted to integrate her. Her and my community here, and and one of the crucial parts of those teas, I really feel, was the singing, the little bit of music that I shared. That it just opens the heart. Let's, I mean, it sounds trite, but it just does, and it somehow creates a beautiful container for people's more raw or unpoetic emotions. It's it's a beautiful thing that art does of creating a container for raw human emotion. So that's what the, makes me think the Death Salon needs to have music, poetry, something that, that um, just offers that container for us. You know, the other thing that I notice about that is if you're listening to a song or s- looking at a piece of art together, mm. you're definitely feeling connected with mm. the other people who are present, mm. and yet you don't have to be having the same experience. Uh, right. Whereas words, often there's a little bit of a, you got to be getting along, oh, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's got a lot of power, too. That's a, that's a really interesting thought. Yep, I agree. So, so let's have one more uh, bit of music uh, before we leave each other. Long for this world. I will be long for this world. Betsy, thanks so much for being with me today. I know we're I know we're gonna have a lot more conversations. Yeah. I hope I hope the listeners will go find your music at BetsyRoseMusic.org and find out more about all the things you do. And next week I'm gonna welcome Rabbi Melvin Glazer, whose book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, is one of a number of books he's written to help mourners move to a new life. His work is informed by his own losses. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.